one. All right, welcome everybody. I'm with my friend uh, Dave Harrison today. Welcome to the Ocean Water Podcast. This is the voice for indigenous water rights. We'll talk a little bit more about that later today. I have a very good friend on. Dave worked at the same international water project company for four decades. I was 40 years at the same company. And during his time there, he did projects in six different countries and personally managed some of those projects were over a billion dollars. And that's with the B, like the word bicycle. So we've got a lot, we're really honored to have Dave on today. Dave, thank you so much for being with us. Great to be here, Ryan. Yeah. And, and then on a personal note, Dave is somebody who, who I look up to, someone that I learn from. So I'm really glad to have him here today. He's also some, someone that I ride bikes with frequently throughout the month. Usually once or twice, we get on a really good ride together on a Saturday. So it's an honor to have you, Dave. Um, Dave, you live here uh, in San Clemente. And uh, so people get to know you a little bit. What's one of your, your favorite um, places to go get food and what do you get? Uh, I'll give you I'll give you two because they they're on different ends of the spectrum. One is uh, Avila's El Ranchito for Mexican food. I'd go there uh, eight days a week for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if I could. Uh, I I'll eat anything on their menu pretty much. Um, but if I just want my comfort level, I get carnitas tacos. Their carnitas are in really great. And then uh, on the upper end of the spectrum, I love Vine. Vine is a higher end kind of fine dining place, but it's really accessible. It's not very expensive. People are great. The food is amazing. Chicken schnitzel, if you're really looking for something, is uh, off the charts. Well, I've been to Avila's and Maria and I, Maria and I have been there. We'll have to check out Vine. It sounds, it sounds amazing. Um, yeah, awesome. So what are, you, what are you doing these days currently and kind of how did you get where you are right now? Okay, fair question. Uh, it's crazy times in everybody's industry. I actually uh, was meeting with the head of the business unit at this company I worked for. I worked for the same company, as you said, for 40 years, but we got acquired by a big company three years ago. So this big company, the guy is meeting with me. I tell him what I'm going to do in 2020. He says, that's great. I'm going to have somebody else do it. I don't have a spot for you. So just like that, I was out of a job. Uh, 36 hours later, I'd signed a, an offer letter with a, a small company called Kennedy Jenks Consultants, a uh, great little company, about 400 people across the U.S. Um, who are really connected to their clients. That's where I wanted to be, is I wanted to be connected to clients, uh, working with clients and helping them solve problems. And so I'm able to do that now. Uh, and the interesting thing I'm working on is, uh, is uh, reclaimed water projects, projects that take uh, treated wastewater and reclaim it so that it can be used as drinking water. And that's kind of the wave of the future here in, in the first world where we, we have lots of water and lots of wastewater. So we need a little more water and it's a great way to get it. So that's, that's what I'm doing now. And, and uh, it's been fantastic. So a little context for our listeners, a smaller company that has three or 400 people that is smaller when you came from a company that had, I think 22,000. That's correct. 22,000. Yeah. I got that right. I pay attention when we ride bikes. You do, man. That's good. <laughs> and so, um, so a smaller outfit and uh, I, know I know you're really happy there now. I am. Um, Thanks. I'm looking forward to, to getting down to, to San Diego with you soon with my friend, Mark Bell and, 
meet some of the awesome people that you're that you're working with. Yeah. And yeah. So, so Dave, I know one of the things that that really excites you now, and one of the things that drives you is passing along a lot of the lessons that you've learned from the School of Hard Knocks along the way to right. people that are just starting out their their career. In fact, so much so that you've written a book. Um, and can you tell everyone the title of your, of your book and when it's going to come out? Sure. It's called The Right Start, uh, Building Your Brand to Survive and Thrive in Corporate America. Uh, it's coming out in three to four weeks. It's just going through the final publishing stages. And I'm a newbie in this. So I, you know, I'm thinking it's three to four weeks. I'm hoping that's all it takes. Could be, could be sooner, could be a little longer, but uh, it'll be out there. And it, it really is, it's lessons uh, that we've learned uh, through the years. I wrote it with a friend of mine uh, and uh, got knocked around a little bit. We're, we're experiential learners. And we're the kids who, when mom and dad said, hey, don't touch that, it's hot. We said, hmm, I wonder what hot is, and we touched it. Uh, so we did that in the corporate world too, got beat up a little bit, but learned our lessons and had pretty successful careers. We just want to pass that knowledge on to others. Well, wow, that's exciting. And, and I want to let everyone uh, know that, that Dave's book will be a link on uh, our Ocean Water website. And Dave has very graciously ahead of time going to donate uh, the proceeds and some of the proceeds of the sales of the book to, to Ocean Water. And Dave, we're really, really honored by that. Not only are you going to give back a lot of the stuff that you've learned along the way, but we'll be able to leverage anything that comes in from that and multiply it. Uh, in, in, in the spaces where, where we are working internationally. So for people who are starting out, what, what do you wish, you, what are some of the things you wish you had known when you started your career? You know, like if, if, <laughs> if Dave could talk to younger Dave, what, what would he be saying these days? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I, there's lots of things. Uh, I'll give you a couple things. Um, one is to do the difficult things, to take the challenges. Um, there's a great quote by a guy named Lou Pinella, uh, who was a baseball manager for years. The toughest competitors know how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So I would say get uncomfortable fast. It's the only way you're going to get better. Uh, it, it's, and it's hard to do because nobody likes that. Nobody likes to be uncomfortable. Uh, that might mean uh, learning to be a public speaker. That might mean learning to write better. Uh, I know early in my career, uh, I was not a good writer, and uh, I got I got hammered for it. And I decided I'm not. I don't want to be hammered like this. That, that was awful. Uh, I'm going to learn to write better, and I found ways to learn to write better uh, because it was important uh, for my personal career. Uh, so that's one thing. Um. And I think the second thing I would say is find, find a way to work at peace with others. Working, the working world is, can be such a crazy place. It can be super competitive. It can be kind of weird. I mean, the guy in the cubicle next to you can be spitting sunflower seeds over the cubicle wall. That's uncomfortable. Uh, you know, some, the, the receptionist might be a, a medium on the side and wants to do your palm reading. I mean, there's weird stuff that goes on in the world because there is no normal. Uh, there is a Ward Cleaver, June Cleaver. They don't work. They're TV families. So I, you know, find a way to find, find a way to be peaceful with all of this kind of come to grips with all of it because it exists and it's not bad. It's just, it's interesting. If you, it, it can either be weird and off-putting or it's like, 
all right, um, you know, the dude is into multi-level marketing. I'm going to ask him how many people he sucked in this week because I'm not going to be one of them, but obviously there are others or he wouldn't be doing it. So, you know, it's just a way to have conversations with people and learn about others. And, uh, be at peace with the world around you. That's what I would say. Because I know early in my career, that stuff irritated the living daylights out of me. And it was a, a lot of stomach acid burnt for no reason at all. That's awesome. So, so what are you, what are you interested in now? What are you, what are you curious about? What, what's something that, that interests you, you know, currently? Um, I, I love 20th century history. Uh, I like a lot of di different aspects of history. I like 20th century history. So I read lots about weird stuff. Like I read a book about Calvin Coolidge, who I don't recommend that book. He was a strange dude. Um, and not really all that interesting uh not and definitely not somebody I would go have a beer with um but uh you know i i like i like um learning about history so i'll read i've read a lot about water history uh because that's interesting to me it's what i do for a living so i want to know for example when did we learn when did we learn that there was a link between water and bacteria in virology and diseases. And you know, it was discovered by a guy named John Snow in London at something like the Broad Street pump station in like the 1850s or 1840s. So all that's 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 what I'm interested in. I'd spend time doing that. Yeah, in fact, I remember one of the rides that that we did, we actually talked about the early 20th century history of Los Angeles and how it actually yes. in, and how it's actually directly tied to water. Absolutely, yeah. Maybe people don't know this, but William Mulholland, if you go back 100 years, if it wasn't for his 227-mile aqueduct project from where they hoodwinked the people at the bottom of the Sierra Nevadas to build, right. to build at that time the largest public works project in the nation's history, we, you and I literally wouldn't be sit, standing or sitting here and saying, yeah because San Clemente has, has been, in, has been the, the downward growth of the, of the population from LA if you go back and you track it. And right. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by history as well. In fact, I remember we, taught, we, we had both learned a lot about William Mulholland. You can't be in the water space too much and not know his name and if you're right. curious. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I also just finished a book by uh, Winston Churchill. Nice. And that was a, that was a really good read his leadership from like 1941 to 45 when they were, when they were in the war, that, that was super interesting. Um, what is something, what are one or two or three things that you feel like you've failed at? <laughs> I, ask, I ask people that question and they're like, you want me to pick one? <laughs> but it's a, it's a good question to ask because, because people that are driven and people that, that are, that are successful people think that, that it's just, then this endless string of victories and nothing could be further from the truth. So what are a couple things that just, that just jump out to you? Oh gosh. Oh, there, yeah, there's, uh, it's more than a handful. It's, it's a giant bucket full. Uh, might even have to bring in a pickup truck to move it. Uh, I'll give you a couple. Um, I really thought that I was going to be the CEO someday. I had people whispering in my ear, you know, you could be the CEO. Uh, this company that I loved and I worked for and I was a part owner of. Uh, so we, uh, 
we moved our family to Colorado and uh, from Southern California in 2003. I had a kid in a son in middle school, a son in high school, and two in college. And the two in college stayed behind. And um, I never got there. I, and, and in a way, that's a failure. I mean, I uprooted my family. We all moved. It was very hard for my wife. It, um, and, you know, I look back on that and think, well, what did I do wrong? And what did I, but at the end of the day, I look back on that now 17 years in the past and think, I'm really happy I didn't make that. I'm really happy I didn't get to that position. I don't know if I would have been successful there. I don't know if I would have been happy there. So yeah. I, I think that's, I mean, that's a failure that I look back on and say, yeah, man, I'm glad I failed at that, to be honest. Um, I think I failed in um, not being able to have difficult conversations with people early in my career, especially when I was in a, uh, leadership position, managing projects, uh, managing people. I, I was fine managing projects. I could tell the structural engineer that he couldn't uh, build a certain kind of footing. And he had to build a, he had to put piles in rather than a spread footing. I was totally fine with that. But I was very uncomfortable talking to people about um, their work performance uh, and uh, some of the things that they did that weren't the right things. And uh, I needed to get way better at that, but those early failures actually cost me um, a little bit in my career in terms of positions where somebody would say, look, you just didn't cut it here. I'm going to move you to this other job. Uh, and I, and I knew the reason why, because I didn't, I, I didn't get out in front of it with people. Uh, had to learn how to do that. Had to, had to get comfortable being uncomfortable because that is uncomfortable. Yeah. Tell, tell everybody about some of the projects that you managed overseas and what their function was. Sure. Uh, you know, one thing that I um, think was a, a, a success, uh, we had a project for, so in England, there are 14 water companies. Uh, Margaret Thatcher uh, basically privatized the water and wastewater industry. Here in the U.S., they're mostly public, uh, publicly owned agencies. So the Metropolitan Water District is a public agency uh, that's owned for the benefit of all uh, and is a, not, is a nonprofit. In England, they're for profit. Uh, and so we were working in Manchester. It was called uh, Northwest Water. Now it's called United Utilities. Uh, helping them uh, build through what they called their five-year asset management program. They get the government to give them approval on a, on a plan for five years, and then they build all this stuff. Well, my, I was, I, I would like to think I still am, but at that time, I certainly was uh, a sludge expert. I knew about biosolids, or they're called residuals, but sludge is, you know, it's a term of art as well. And we were coming up with a plan to rationalize their sludge processing facilities across this large area with 7 million population. And so I worked on it with a couple of guys, uh, came to, uh, was working there for several weeks in, outside of Manchester, uh, made a presentation, a big presentation to all the big, do big dogs in this uh, organization. And they were, they were British. I don't know how to say it. They, everything we said was, well, yeah, mm, I don't know, maybe, 
uh, yeah, I don't, well, we'll think about it. And I had hired a facilitator for the meeting and he said, oh, you were brilliant. I said, what are you talking about, man? They didn't like anything. I didn't hear one amen to anything. He said, don't worry about it. They just don't want to give you credit. When you come back in four months, they'll have sorted through everything you said and they'll do everything you said. And he was pretty much right. I mean, they did about 90% of what we said, building these big facilities. So uh, that was a lot of fun. It was a lesson in, in kind of sociology. We didn't take sociology classes as engineers. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, on the lower end side, um, I had an opportunity uh, to go with an NGO to uh, Uganda and uh, work with a team to uh, build drainage systems at this orphanage and school uh, that this NGO was supporting. And uh, it was a team of, I don't know, there were probably 15 people and 13 of them were like strong type A's. Like they were large and in charge, every one of those 13, me included, I, I, I was in that. And uh, there was one other engineer and there were two other engineers, sorry, in that group and the rest were attorneys, school teachers, various occupations. Uh, and so, we got there and, and we kind of looked at what was going on and we, kinda, and we laid out a plan and one of the guys said, nah, that's not how it works. That's not how drainage works. I, mean, I think we should do this. And I looked at him and said, where did you, where did you get your engineering degree? You know, I, there's an Esquire at the end of your name, not professional engineer, not PE. He says, no, this is how it's going to work. So, okay, you work on that side. I'll work on this other side. <laughs> anyway. Uh, they built this drainage channel. They just dug out this drainage channel on this road, and it rained, uh, you know, a biblical rainstorm in, in Africa. They're amazing, actually. I mean, I, I put my coat on and went out in the rain. So this is, I've never been in rain like this, ever. May never again. Uh, and it washed out what they did. <laughs> it felt bad. But I said, you got to listen to me. I actually kind of know what I'm doing. This is what I do for a living. Um, but it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. It was great to give back. Uh, what we ended up doing was going a little bit beyond um, just drainage. We put in rain barrels for them. They have tons of water. It's just not clean. Even the groundwater has got contamination, and so we ended up being able to put in some, capture some water off the roofs, put in some rain barrels, say clean water for cooking and for cleaning to wash their clothes, wash their dishes. Uh, so those are kind of, some of the things I've done internationally. It's wonderful. So what would you describe as kind of the current like water situation in the world? You are as, as much of a specialist in this field as anybody for four decades, um, exclusively working on water engineering projects, both domestically and internationally. So if you could describe to people kind of what do you see as like the, the current water situation in the world well the first world has water um we have systems uh, we have regulations uh, <clears throat> what comes out of your tap is amazing i'm amazed during this covid crisis that people are going to the grocery stores and costco and big box stores and buying pallets of water that's fine but nobody's going to serve you water that's not literally perfect and that's what comes out of the tap um, their service level, the, the, you know, is 100% basically. 
I can't think of a time in recent memory or even I can't think of a time where we had to boil water to have clean water. So first world is good. Yeah, every once in a while there's a boil water order issue somewhere, but for the most part, it's good. Um, the issue in the first world is that people tend to live on the coasts or in the uh, more temperate zones where there is less water. And so we have to be more careful about how we use it and we have to be smart about how we use it. So we do reclamation and things like that. Uh, but if you look in California, uh, essentially, and these numbers aren't exact, but 10% of the water is used for residential use, 10% for commercial and industrial, and 80% for agriculture. So, and that makes sense. I mean, that's fine. You go to the third world uh, and you have a spectrum. And the spectrum is uh, anywhere from very arid areas of the world that essentially have almost no water to very wet areas like Uganda in Africa that has plenty of water, but most of it has contamination. Uh, and so they have to find a way to basically kill bacteria and viruses or get rid of it. Uh, where, there, where there is uh, a dearth of water, it's a lot harder because what you're what what you're doing with ocean water in bringing in seawater desalination, um, that's usually been for the big boys. I mean, the big boys like the government of Oman or Abu Dhabi, they have big seawater desal plants. You know, the U.S. Army has seawater desal trucks. Uh, you just ha don't see it that often. Uh, what you see in the third world is somebody like USAID or some NGO coming in and building a, a drilling a well so that they can pump out groundwater. We've talked about that either by hand, uh, which they're more than happy to do, or uh, you know if it gets deep enough, they got to have a pump, but they don't have power, so they have a diesel pump. Uh, there's plenty of water out there. Uh, it's it's an issue of contamination, really. Uh, and in, in some places, uh, you know, the smartest thing is, is again, what you're doing, um, putting in a seawater desal facility, people get water. They don't need a ton. Uh, in, in other words, you know, in the U.S., uh, roundabout numbers, uh, an individual might use uh, 50 to 60 gallons per day. So when we would plan for a new development, you we might even plan for 100 gallons per person per day. Uh, and that would include light commercial and industrial uses as well. Uh, in the third world, if you can get five to 10 gallons a day, you're rocking. That's not bad. And, and folks know how to use it and they're careful with it, but it makes their life so much easier because so much of their time had been spent collecting water. I mean, you see the pictures of in the African villages of people around the water pump with the yellow, uh, they look like gas cans, they call them jerry cans, uh, that they're using these big plastic things to carry this modestly contaminated water to their homes three miles away so they can cook and clean. And that's, that's one of the reasons those folks can't move forward. They just can't get access to water in a reasonable way. They spend three hours a day doing that. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one, one of the things that I, that I wrestled with, with, you know, I have a background in public health and then I'm also a yeah. pastor. And the thing, 
the thing that I really wrestled with was, you know, what was my moral responsibility to help take a platform that the wealthiest people in the world have access to yeah. and take that platform and, and utilize that platform for people that don't have a voice. So when we say that our podcast is the voice for, the, for indigenous water rights, what that means is, is that we're taking that platform that they use in Oman, that the US military uses, that the most advanced and uh, most monetary blessed economies in the world already have, and we're taking that and we're doing small scale projects. It's the same technology, but we're dispersing it for marginalized and forgotten groups of people. So, so for example, like in Palmercito, there are 38 families. And a lot of people say, well, would you do a project for 38 families? That's roughly 300 people in Palmercito, literally just on the west side of the main road toward the ocean. And my answer is yes, of course. Yeah. When, did, when did 300 people quit being important? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think what uh, is great about what you're doing yeah. is that you have uh, you've trained a local guy. You understand that um, it's not just putting the hardware there. It's learning how to operate it. It's learning how to maintain it. It's getting spare parts. So when bearings go out on a pump or one of the membranes fails in the RO system, uh, he has access to spare parts because this is a long-term deal. Yes. That stuff should last a long time. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and thank you for, you know, we're going to continue to talk some more, but one of the reasons I felt compelled to start to, to have these conversations with my friends is not because I need another thing to do. <laughs> you, <laughs> my, my passion for this was to start to have one conversation at a time with one person at a time to help really raise minds on this issue. And we, we really want to be, I saw that there was really no one speaking into this space. And so I thought, well, if no one's speaking into this space, and this is such important, and the people that need the platform don't have the voice to speak into the space. So let's, let's lean into that and, and do as much good as good as possible. For those of you who are listening, you can see why Dave's like a mentor of mine. You can see why I, I like to ride bicycles with Dave when he's a wonderful human being, but I, I always come with tons of questions. I probably talk the entire time, that we're, that we're on, except when we go up hills. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's not cool, but um, I, always, I always learn, you know, you know, so much from you. Um, so, so what do you think, help our listeners, what do you think about what Ocean Water does? Oh, I think it's fantastic. I mean, there's an opportunity because a couple of things, Ryan. One, I think is scale, right? You you can overscale these things. You can make them too big, and it becomes very hard to do. Hard to raise the funds. Yep. Uh, hard to deliver the equipment. I mean, you're you have you found something. I think this is what one of the things I find very clever. And I whenever I talk about ocean water, I mention this to people. So Ryan found this equipment that he can put in suitcases that are fifty pounds, and he can put on a plane and take with him. Now, one of the great advantages of that is you don't have to source equipment in another country. You don't have to run it through customs. You don't have to. So I think that's, that's one thing. Um, I think the other thing is you've found places that want it and are willing to step in 
and I mean step in and run it and get it going and make sure that it's available to all because that's what water should be available to all. Correct. And so I, I really like those two aspects of it. I think it's the right scale. Uh, you know, maybe it'll get bigger, but you know, it could be modular too. Instead of packing uh, 350 gallons per day treatment system in three suitcases, you make a 700 gallon a day system and you bring six suitcases. Right. <laughs> so I, I like the modularity of it as well. So I, yeah, I think those are really great aspects of it, Ryan. It's and it, those people don't have a voice. They don't have water. I don't know how they get along, how they survive. I've been in places and I just wonder how do you get, I mean, I've been in Afghanistan drinking tea with the tribal elders in a refugee village thinking to myself, where did this come from? Where did the water come from? Where did the milk come from? And when will I die? <laughs> I didn't die. So I was all right. Well, the, 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 the backdrop that I'm using, I'm trying to use, it's a little fuzzy here today, uh, but is actually of our site um, in, in El Salvador. And that was, that was strategic. And also you, you, I didn't know you were gonna use an, an ocean, so this is tying together really well. Because you're right, we don't have, an, we don't, we don't have a, an, a, a quantity problem. We have a, we have a contaminant problem that can be solved uh, if we disperse an, an easily um, uh, usable platform. And so, um, how are you? How are you involved in ocean water? Besides being an advisor and helping me, <laughs> um, you know, I like a lot of things in my life. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a peripheral supporter. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm certainly giving to it, uh, praying for you and 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 what you're doing, um, and you know, I'm. I'm available to fund stuff when, when the time is right. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of both know when the time is right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've been able to do that, yep. uh, which is, which is great. Uh, love doing that and supporting what you're doing. Um, haven't been on a trip, but again, when the time is right, I'll yep. be there. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I, I think I speak for everybody who's going to listen to this. Um, in that I hope you have so much to say. And so if, if I could ask a favor of you, if you'll come on again in the next 30 to 60 days and we'll pick another couple set of questions. Some of the people that I'm having on here uh, just have so much to offer. So I, I, I would love to. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So Dave, thank you for your, for your time today. I, I'm just want to say thanks on behalf of everybody who's going to get something out of this. And there are a lot, I'm getting a lot of great feedback, so that's really encouraging. And uh, just thank you so much for your time. And uh, I hope we ride Saturday, and I owe you two goos from, la from last week. You, you, don't worry about the goos. Look forward to the ride. <laughs> All right, Dave. Bye, so brother. Much. All right, have a great day, my friend. Thanks, you too. Cheers. Bye.